Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, December 9th, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are on page 20. We're going to start with paragraph 5, which begins with moderate drinkers. Today's readers are 12 Steps, Carol G., 12 Traditions, Diane G., Reading the text, Marie P., Chelsea H., and Sue V. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, December 8, 2014, 7092. 7092. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's SIP tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At the Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Carol G. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Vision for You. Thank you so much. It's Carol G. recovered in England. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire. Great to be here this morning to read the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. Our loving God as he may express himself 
and our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group are never endorsed, financed, or lend the OA name is, uh, to any related facilities or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Diane G., and also thank you, Carol G., for the 12 steps. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 20, paragraph 5, and continue for three paragraphs. I will ask Marie P. to please begin our study. Good morning. Thank you for being there, Melanie. This is Marie P., a compulsive overeater recovered. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can leave it or they can take it or leave it alone. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time if a sufficient strong reason ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. But what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. 
He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Well, these paragraphs certainly track my overeating history so well. I started as a moderate overeater in my late teens. That fact is truly amazing, as I overate on sweets for my whole life before that. But in my teens, I started to watch my food and got down to goal weight. I maintained that uh, without help for about 10 or more years. I was like the businessman that gave up alcohol until he retired and then drank himself to death within three years. In my late 20s, I had a couple of crises and, uh, in my life and started binge eating again. I progressed from moderate to hard eater in my late 20s. This continued uh, for a good number of years. It was the seesaw then with diet clubs, exercise, and in the rooms. I finally recovered a year and two months ago. The study, with the help of God, the love shared with other overeaters, and service has kept me on the straight and narrow. I started as a moderate overeater, but when I took the food back, I was a full-blown compulsive overeater, just like the businessman. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Marie P. Who would like to comment on what was read? This is Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Good morning to you. Go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Rachel N.M. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from Ohio. I'm very grateful to be here and be recovered today. Um, the way that the book describes a alcoholic is that he he at some stage loses begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink and he may or may not have become a continuous hard drinker and um i i definitely identify in with that um because for me when the food was down that's when my mind started to go crazy and and so then you you think that okay, you know, I'll be I'll be moderate. I'll have um, you know, one cookie at lunch. Well, you know that 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 cookie was was a small cookie. Um uh, maybe maybe it would count for just a half a cookie. So so if I had another one or a half another one, let's see that would make and and off I would go. Um so so I'm thankful for AA because it tells us that the real problem is is in my mind after putting down the substances that are triggering me. And um, amazingly, things I never thought were really bothering me, but things I felt guilty for, um, things that I just uh, was not willing to, to face, 
mm-hmm. uh, things I didn't want to say out loud to another person. Um, those things, once I was willing to share them with another human being and, and now facing things that come up every day, my life's totally different and um, much, much more peaceful, much better, much more productive. And, and I just am thankful for my recovery every day and, and for what the big book has taught me. That's all I have. I pass. Thank you, Rachel. Rachel and Hi, this Anne. Is Naomi B. This is Bella Meisher. Rabia. Okay, let's go with those. I have Naomi, Bella, Rabia, and Vasa. Good morning, Naomi. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for all your service. Well, could I identify in with these paragraphs? I, I think maybe day one of my birth, I was a moderate eater. I mean, that was like, oh gosh, 67 years ago. I was never, never, I never had any kind of control over over the food. It was it was ridiculous. And, and I can remember at one point going out to a restaurant, it was an Italian restaurant, having from soup to nuts and huge dessert. And walking out of the restaurant, it's like, wow, I can still eat. There was never an off switch. I never understood anything about the obsession of the mind or the allergy of the body. Had no control at all. And it didn't matter whether, you know, I was falling in love or ill health or my daughters. It was like, sure, they needed a mother, but I needed my fix. And nothing would stand in front of that. I am a true compulsive overeater. And by God's grace, I am, it is, it is, I am recovered one day at a time. And this is an amazing program, and this is the only thing that works. Reading the big book, when I first went to my first big book meeting, it was like, what are we reading alcoholics? I'm not an alcoholic. I always said to myself, if, if I like food the way I like alcohol, I'd weigh 100 pounds instead of near 300. Well, I love this meeting. I listen to it every morning, and God bless you all, and thank you for allowing me to share. I pass. Thank you, Naomi B. Stella G. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Melanie, for doing this service, and thank you very much that everybody that is on the line. Wow, I love this paragraph because I see myself, completely myself, in those paragraphs. Before the program, I knew that I am eating because of a certain feeling that I feel. And I gave myself permission to eat when I am sad, upset, angry, disappointed. But why I am eating when I feel happy, excited, with joy? This I didn't understand. So then it came like, oh, Bella, you see, you don't have the willpower. It's okay to eat when you feel sad or not good, but why you are eating when you are happy and excited? And then it came all the, you know, all the blaming and the judging and the guilty feelings. Now I know, I know, thank you God, now that I am in the program, I don't have to suffer anymore. I don't have to blame not myself and nobody else. I know that I have a disease. And I have a disease because this is the way that God created me. God wants me to give 
to give a message by being compulsive overeater. I am not looking for a reason why I am eating. And thank you, God, now I feel so secure and so happy to know that I am connected to a higher power. I am not connected to my ego power. I am connected to an acceptance and loving power. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. Robbie, I am. Good morning, my dear fellow visionaries. This is Rabia M., compulsive overeater from New York, and Melanie Carol G. Um, came on right before me. Can I give okay, my... Okay, thank you. Oh, you betcha. I might not have heard her. You betcha if you want to. Carol G., yeah. are you still with us? Oh, maybe, Robbie, you could continue, and I'll catch her, catch her right after. Uh, okay. Um so so when this was read this morning, I felt such peace, you know, that peace that passes all understanding. And I love when I have waves of, of that kind of deep um, peace. And so um, because today I know I'm a real compulsive overeater, and, and, and what does that mean for me? It means that I will uh, that I will even overeat abstinent food, and and so now I weigh all of my food, even my lettuce leaves. I love that someone texted that to me the other day, and I just love it. I love I weigh my <laughs> lettuce leaves, and 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 so um, I don't have to convince anybody what that means. I know that there are people on this line that understand exactly what I'm saying, and and there are people. Um, who have a different experience and and I was at my face to face OA meeting yesterday and and I understand now uh there are some people in that room who are not real compulsive overeaters and that's okay you know that's okay we're all on our own journey I had the most lovely experience at that meeting yesterday it was on the 12th step when we read from the OA 12 and 12 and it was all about the principles of the program. What a beautiful, pleasant surprise. The whole meeting, everybody talked about the spiritual principles of these 12 steps. And and so now I can go to OA meetings face-to-face, and, and it's all okay because I know today I'm a real compulsive overeater. I know that I have fellows who understand what that means and and support me in my journey and um and I don't have to take anyone else's inventory. <laughs> isn't isn't that lovely? Okay, have a wonderful day. I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Bella. And Carol G, if I didn't catch you, I apologize. Are you there to be able to share now? Yes, Melanie, can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Good morning. Oh. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's Carol G recovered uh, one day at a time thank you um i couldn't let that um that phrase falling in love go by without speaking about that um <clears throat> yeah so i love that paragraph um i'm definitely not a hard eater i'm a compulsive overeater and every single day without a higher power in my life and this program of recovery i'm just completely powerless over food uh, but one thing eating compulsively did give me um was a voice um, it gave my broken spirit a voice. It gave me the guts to scream out, please help me someone, just help me, because um, I was so broken and I followed the directions that before I even could set 
pen to paper all those years ago when I came to OA, um, I needed love. I needed so much love and I needed human contact. Um, I'd just eaten myself insane trying to squeeze love and affection from food. Um, it worked when I was 12, um, but it didn't work when I was older. And um, I always remember when I was eating compulsively, just for one second with that first bite, I would get that feeling of atonement with something, connection with something, but it would pass really, really quickly and just leave me feeling even more devastated and alone. Um, I was always seeking connection um, from people like sales assistants in the shops where I would purchase all my binge foods. My desire to connect with people was just so intense and I always mistook um, hunger. Um, I, I always mistook um, binging for hunger, etc. But I, I then got married. I got married and it still didn't change. In fact, it actually got worse. Um, so I began to think maybe love is not the answer. Um, maybe love's part of it. And I lost control many, many more times after that. And I realized that the 12 steps when I worked them opened my heart in a different way to a kind of love that I didn't know existed. And it didn't. It came after I, just, I took the action, of course. I had to take the action. And then when I did that action, and, and the action was in process and within me, my spirit began to change. I began to fall in love with something new. I began to fall in love with life and fall in love with OA and fall in love with the big book and, and of course, ultimately fall in love with God. And I don't feel it all the time, but I do get most of the time that at one moment with the peace and the universe around me and for that I'll be forever grateful. So thank you to AA and thank you to OA and thank you to Vision for You and I pass. Thank you, Carol G. Vasa O. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie, for your service. And I'm Vasa O, recovering, recovered compulsive reader calling from Florida. And I remember when I was reading this part of the big book, Number one, my, I remember also feeling when I came at the started reading the book, big, big book, I remember saying, what am I doing reading this book? I'm not an alcoholic. And I remember my sponsor saying, just cross alcohol and put food on the top, you know. And then I remember being at this paragraph right here and thinking, now, what level of compulsive overeater I am? Moderate, hard drinker, hard eater, or real alcoholic. I know for me, looking back into my childhood, being a born in a country, they, we didn't have the sweets, we didn't have junk food over there, we didn't have the food that we have in America. So over there, I remember overeating like a little bit, you know, but then we escaped to Greece and we were introduced with more food, you know, and I remember eating even, overeating over there more because there was more foods that I liked. And then when we came in America, oh, boy, I, you know, it was, the, you know, my aunt took us to stop and shop, and she said, you can put everything in the basket that you want. And I gained 20 pounds in one month. And my mother was the happiest person because I had been thin till I was 15, 14 and a half years old, and she always worried about my weight, you know. I wasn't eating, I wasn't gaining. There's a lot of chaos going in the house anyways because, uh, you know, there was trouble and stuff, and who can eat? You know, my stomach was always upset. But anyways, um, I did become, you know, it, I passed over. I became the real food addict 
you know, once I discovered the sugars. And I wanted to eat the sugars, and I didn't want to eat the food as much. And there was a time when I was overeating on the food, plus I'd go into the sugars too. So, yeah, I crossed uh, over uh, maybe not too long before I found program. I just gave in to the food addiction. I said, there's nothing more to try. And I ate over anything. I ate being being happy, sad, lonely, angry. I used the food for comfort. So I'm just so grateful I found the solution. I identified with the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And then it was just amazing. I could have never learned this, what I'm learning here. And I remember thinking, well, maybe if I the education, if I went to college, if I had master's degrees, then I would have figured my life, and, and you know, I would have been, you know, so smart I could figure everything out. And you know, but, you know, none of that mattered. You know, for me, I needed to admit I was a powerless. Over- and, and just learning what I'm learning here, it gave me a life. I was dying. Thank you very much for letting me share my past. Thank you. And we're going to move on here, but I'd like to share first. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I wanted to look at um, what I had thought that I got from this uh, paragraph, but what about the real alcoholic? Because it ties in the first two paragraphs for me. And I... I believe in my heart that this is a distinction that the authors are putting down here, a distinction between, you know, and a question I might be asking myself, is this, am I, a, am I a compulsive overeater or not? Am I an addict or not in this regard? And um, I was doing some reading about the moderate drinker. It's kind of curious. Um, the moderate drinker would have maybe alcohol every day, might have, you know, up to three to five drinks a a day regularly. Um, And I'm thinking, wow, that seems excessive to me. Am I, you know, did I eat like that? And I'm kind of chiming in. And what about the hard, you know, hard drinker? The distinction here, as I'm understanding it, is that that, um, I can look like I'm doing a lot of drinking. Even a moderate drinker, they say four to five drinks a day. Um, And so what would it mean for a hard drinker? My goodness, I could only imagine six-pack or whatever. Well, what about food? Is it two Twinkies a day and one candy bar for me, three or four, a dessert, you know, every day or whatever? Um, The distinction that I could see and the line that I crossed over um, over time was that um, I couldn't stop once I started. And I could not stop myself from starting. That was a distinction for me. And then, you know, I can parlay that into... The diet stopped. You know, I lose all this weight, put all this effort into it, and the diet stopped working. Um, back into it again, I would go, and then the end result of that, I would be heavier than I ever was in just a short time. And I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And then the obsession. I couldn't stop myself from thinking about things that entered into every conversation that I had. I couldn't focus on what I was doing and having and being within those moments. It just continued over and over again. And to um, to those last days before the first absent buy that I'd ever taken in the 50 years to that particular time, I'm over 50, I'm 59 now, but was that I could not even hardly leave my house without having food around me, surrounding me. The thoughts were just so, so invasive and persistent that it, they would never leave me. And it was always around me. Some sort of food was always around me. It just had become this monster. And that's the distinction. That's the distinction, and I love being able to study that here. 
when that happened, I don't know. And I believe that there was some time in my life perhaps that that I might have been some sort of a moderate and given some good reason it didn't come. I could have stopped when I go back and take a look at my life and the, and the, and the perspective that I had at that time. I don't know the day that I had crossed that line, but I can guarantee that there was a line crossed that I couldn't get back and I needed help. And I need help daily to tow that particular spot in that line to stay on this side of it every day of that same particular line. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. And would Chelsea H. still uh, start reading again for us on page 21, the second paragraph. Here is the fellow. Okay, Melanie, can you hear me? I can. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for your service. Good morning, visionaries. This is Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. Here is the fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd and incredible tragic things while drinking. He's a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He is always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world, yet let him drink for a day and he has frequently become disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. He has a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor, but in that respect he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook of his, fa- of his family and himself and then he pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. He is the fellow who, gives, who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. Yet, early next morning, he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house to be certain no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the waste pipe. As matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedative and liquor to quiet his nerves so he can go to work. Then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and he gets drunk all over again. Perhaps he goes to a doctor who gives him morphine or some sedative which, with which to taper off. Then he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums. And I'm still Chelsea, and I'm uh, grateful, grateful to be recovered today and here on this line. Um, I go back to where I began, and I look at this information, and the first thing I see is lack of control and how puzzling it is, because that's my dilemma. My dilemma is that I do not have the power to stay stopped, and that what I can do and what I do do is so bizarre, it's killing me while I'm eating. It says while I'm eating. He also goes on here to point out that I'm, I'm seldom mildly intoxicated, and that was my experience. I seldom ate just for nourishment. Uh, there were times I was able to actually be sane, but those moments were so brief and always followed by more and more eating. And there would be some particular or important decision. And in my life and during my eating and drinking career, because the drinking and eating, as I share it many times, were intertwined for me. 
but um, my uh, it would look like for me pulling the structure down around my head and building it up was having I actually had talent I could actually do things I was actually in entertainment but every time especially when I really started to be a real drunk just and a, and a food addict I would eat and get use bulimia to try to be a um, fix for whatever it was so I could go to auditions. So uh, say, for example, I would have an audition and I would know that it would, be it would include singing, possibly dancing. But anyway, I would have rehearsed. I would have done everything that I needed to do to rehearse to get the um, audition. But the night before the audition, fear, I would be paralyzed with fear. And I would be restless, irritable, and discontented. And the only way that I could even quell that a little bit was to eat and drink. And I mean eat a lot and spend countless hours trying to wrestle that fear myself. But I had the lack of power that they talked about at the beginning of the sentence. So this information I can identify with. I'd get to the audition my throat would be so raw, singing wasn't even an option. I'd be so hungover, the sound of the piano playing was so incredibly out in my head. My stomach was nauseous. Food fog and also a hangover. Terrible combination to try to go to an audition in front of people where fear is already just inherent. So it's amplified, so fear, stifled by fear. But because I'm so selfish and so self-centered, all I want to do is eat or drink over it or try to find an escape from it, living a false, a falsehood, something that is not true. So I have around my house, so anyway, that audition goes down, it goes badly. I'm more upset, so I have to eat about that. Come the next morning, I'm searching frantically around because not only have I eaten myself to sleep, I, next morning I'm searching around for package pounds of bacon not one pack but there needs to be at least two and if it's not i may have to run out and go get more because i need to search madly for the food that i consumed last night so i can get that same effect the effect i got last night i'm searching for this morning and i'm restless irritable or discontented if i'm not going to be able to get it so the whole thing the lack of power comes right up in the beginning and the unmanageability as a result of that and the only thing that I can do, thank goodness my experience is not that today, because I had been graced to be, have it taken away root and branch, because it goes deep. You have to have it pulled out. I don't have the power to pull myself out. But whatever it is, is that the totality of everything has graced me with the willingness through despair to take action, which are these 12 steps, so that this stuff that I'm identifying with today that I read is not my experience. Thanks for letting me share. Pass. Thank you, Chelsea H. Who would like to comment on what Larry. we're at? I hear Larry and then somebody else. Kim M. Kim M. And Paula, somewhere in there. <laughs> okay, I heard um, Larry K., Sarah W., Kim M., and Paula D. Let's start with that. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Melanie. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Wow, do I love this paragraph. Yeah, this paragraph for me, um, you know, I, th this was, you know, one of those paragraphs where I really identified in. Now, I wasn't prepared um, when I first read this the first thousand or so times to do anything about it, but I will tell you that it did start a process of identification. 
You know, this was like, boy, they this was written for me. You know, here's the fellow, you know, um, that Jekyll and Hyde. I often describe myself in those terms, as well as my first wife and my second wife and many other relationships that I I had uh, the Jekyll and Hyde. I had, um, you know, broken windshields, broken dreams, broken relationships. My life was littered with uh, behavior that was that was just simply out of control. And, you know, I never got up in the morning. The, the morning that I got up and about the best decision that I had that day was to fly to Las Vegas, to book a flight, fly to Las Vegas with no bags, no, nothing. That seemed rational to me. Seemed absolutely rational. And I wasn't going there to gamble. Um, <laughs> I was I was there binging my brains out. Um, gambling was, was secondary, really. It was a place that I could be where I thought in my mind, my perceptive lenses suggested that was a place that I could really just let my hair down. Letting my hair down was, was binging my brains out, was uh, being by myself. Many times would go to, um, you know, family gatherings or other social gatherings if I would dare. And uh, you never knew what you were going to get. I was an unbalanced individual. I didn't intend to be a bad person. But the world was judging me on my actions and my behavior, not on my intentions. I had an allergy to the body. I had an obsession of the mind. I was, I was ruining my life, and I was, my life was littered with ruined relationships. But oh boy, did I look good on paper. You know, I had all the degrees and all the, I wore all the masks. You know, at some point we have to, we have to get honest with ourselves and that's what it took for me to take the action. This is a program of action and that's why I'm not that person that I just described anymore. You wouldn't, you wouldn't see that guy. I'm a balanced person and I'm able to be in loving relationships and I, I'm congruent today. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry K. Sarah W. Sarah W., are you with us? Oh, yes. I didn't hear you, Melanie. I'm sorry. I was unmuting. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Sarah W., grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Good morning, everyone. Um, you know, I was thinking to myself, um, you know, I always felt I wasn't enough. I mean, that was really my driving thing. You know, I was never enough, and I was always trying to wipe that out of my mind. You know, I'm not enough, and how can I make myself feel better? Or how can I make myself numb enough where I don't remember that, you know? And, you know, that was, you know, food. Um, I think, for me, I was I was in a little orphanage when I was, Till I was about eight months old in a, in a in a crib, and I came to my parents as a very chubby little girl because I don't think I was nurtured very much. I, I wasn't never with a um, uh, a significant other or a parental type of a figure. I never bonded with anyone, so food be, became my whole thing. And it's kind of choking me up just talking about it because it's really it's primal for me. And so when I came, I was not even sitting up. At, at eight months old, um, and uh, I, I saw pictures of myself, and I never was smiling, and so food became like the thing I could control, the thing that did love me, because that was all I had, 
And I can remember my parents sent me away when I was about 13, and I was in a, uh, a boarding boarding um, school. And um, I remember sitting in a, a bathroom with a huge um, coconut cream layer cake and just eating the whole thing. And I became very much the closet eater. Um, and, you know, basically it was the only way that I could control and that I could inebriate myself enough to walk through life where I wasn't going to kill myself. You know, that's the way. And, you know, I've had m- multiple sorts of addictions. I think many of us do. But, you know, the, the food thing has always been my primal thing. And, you know, where it talks about our behaviors and how we react in life, um, you know, how when something good starts to happen, it's like we, we sabotage. When something bad starts to happen, you know, we run away from it. It's, you know, that's that's the way I lived my life. I'm so grateful today that I don't have to live like that. You know, and, and just the dishonesty of the whole thing, you know, that's why that first step is so enormously important to me, that, you know, I have to come to that place where I admit to my innermost self that I am a real compulsive reader. In my core of cores, I mean, this is who I am, and that, that my life is unmanageable, not just the food, but my whole life was unmanageable. And thank God we have this beautiful step program that we can walk into uh, and, and get recovered and get healthy. And that doesn't mean that we don't have bad moments, but we know what to do with them. I didn't have a great day yesterday. And what I realized is that, you know, I have some amends to make and I have some work to do. And thank God I know that because I have come full circle with who I am, with God's help, and with all of you. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Kim M. Good morning. This is Kim M., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Texas. Thank you so much for letting me share. Um, This paragraph, you know, really just talks about the helplessness and the hopelessness that goes on with... um, addiction. And I re- I just remember, it just made me remember of all those days where I was just binging and binging and it just went on forever and ever. And then you just have these, you know, family members who, who love you, you know, just push away from the table. Just do this. Or reminding you every day that you're gaining weight. Oh, you're getting a little chubby there. You know, but they just didn't Understand. I mean, being a compulsive overeater, it's. Uh, I mean, it's. It's like hell. It's hell when you're in that addiction and you're doing that thing every day, and then every uh, day you tell yourself tomorrow's gonna be different. You know, I'm gonna be able to do it tomorrow. You know, I'm gonna start my diet. You know, I wasn't only. You know, at the bottom of the barrel, I was underneath the barrel. Being in the barrel was a step up. You know, but I'm just so glad that I uh, found this program, and um, I know that nothing else works for me. You know, um, nothing else works for me. And I, and you know, as I shared before, I went as far as having the surgery, and um, it, it nothing works except this program. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Kim M. Paula D. Good morning. This would be Paula D. I am a compulsive reader, recovered today. You know, as we read this, my goodness, you hear a lifetime. But you know, we read before we began, we read the first part, 
And, you know, it says here, hot drinker, drunk, could quit drinking if he would. The alcoholic would quit if he could. That's the difference. The door's shut. It's almost like you're driving along, and there you are in the state of Mass, and then you've crossed the state line. Jeez, I didn't even see that, but there was a sign. You are now in New Hampshire. So at some point, the line was crossed. He goes on and he says, and I love the description. Look at who he uses. He uses our friend uh, here, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, and, and who is the author of the of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And that's what he used. He is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And we all know that Stevenson died of alcoholism. Many believe that this was his story. And as we read it, we can see some truth there. But then he goes on, and I will go on here. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. But, and there it is, maybe you want to put and. And in that respect, he's incredibly dishonest and selfish. How could he be looking you in the eye? That's why we needed the steps. That's why where steps were given. Only when we take and experience the steps can we look at this. And it becomes very clear. But then he goes on. He uses his gifts. You mean he has gifts? Yeah. To build up a bright outlook. Remember what we started with. There's no choice anymore. And then pulls the structure down in his head by a senseless. Senseless, another word for senseless as he began with in this chapter. Puzzling. Series of sprees. But this part, I love. Yet, not love, but I've lived. Not today. Yet means then, at that time. You think he'd be done after that spree? But he searches, and look at how he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. Where is it? I bet I've got some left in it. You know that feeling. We don't have to live it anymore. But this is what he was living. If he can afford it, can he? Can he afford it again? He can't, but remember, choice was taken away. And then he looks again. And it says, as matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination. Oh, the, you know, you know about combinations. Then comes the day. He cannot make it. And he gets drunk all over again. He cannot complete the day. So there it is, written in black and white, lived by many. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? We have time for about three, it looks like. This is Deb W. Oklahoma. This is Nicole. Leah. I'll go with those three. Thank you so much. Um, Deb W., Nicole S., I believe, and Leah M., Good morning, Deb W. Hi, this is Deb W. Recovered in Oklahoma. Um, this is an awesome uh, big paragraph that describes me uh, definitely exactly. And, you know, when, there's a couple of lines that I wanted to say I didn't identify uh, with. But in the in a whole, this is a fellow who, you know, has a family. I, I was in a family. I, I was the mom. and um, you know, nobody said anything to me about 
the amount of food that I ate. You know, I packed it in, and nobody questioned the elephant in the living room, which was me. You know, nobody in my family, I had I have um, four children, a husband. They were all, they enabled me with this behavior. And, you know, the number of different diet plans and ideas that I decided to try to stop the eating. I remember the first time it became real to me that it was about something other than the eating was when I was on a liquid diet plan. And, you know, I, was, I, I wasn't hungry. That's the first time it registered. I wasn't hungry, but I wanted to eat more. I wanted the food. You know, the number of times I went to um, in and out and the number of people that were come, going in and out with me to the to the diet pill places that they'd give you that shot and they'd give you those pills and off you go. And I got to where I got the shot, got the pills, and was eating. And they still continued to let me have it, you know. You know, not only the the craziness that I did with the diets and with the food, but you know, my personality wasn't the best. You know, I the ups and the downs that I I'd get up in a mood one morning, I'd be happy the next morning. My family didn't know. I remember seeing the look on my husband's face when I would get up in the morning and and see he he kind of would be checking out. Well, what kind of mood? How's the day going to be today? All based on my personality and my attitude. And, and I wasn't a happy person. I was a miserable person because it started out with this monkey on my back. Every morning I had to get up with this monkey on my back. I remember not even wanting to take that first bite in the morning because when I took that first bite, it set off the compulsion. It didn't matter what it was. It's just like I opened the door and the compulsion was set off. So, yeah, I can identify with everything in this this uh, paragraph, and I, I thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Deb W. Nicole S. Hi, this is Nicole S. from Colorado, um, a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I just wanted to um, reflect on the one that he is the fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. And, um, you know, many of us that know the feeling of, um, you know, having the hangover and feeling sick the next day. But um, I, I remember when I would have an eating binge, and um, for me it was it involves purging also. And one time um, I, I checked to see how long it took till I felt better. And... It took 30 hours, and I remember that just struck me that, um, you know, it was over a full day um, that I just felt horrible, and for me to recover from um, from a binge and how bad my, my body felt, and I was one of those who I, I should have been sleeping the whole day because I was so sick from, um, from binging um, the night before that, you know, I should have been sleeping the whole next day, and... Um, one day I was on my way to work and um, after our, a really bad binge the night before and um, I actually had to turn around and go home and do exactly that because I just felt, felt so horrible. And, um, you know, this is the, the thing right here where it says is the, the fellow who has been puzzling you and that was me because everything else in my life seemed, seemed great, you know, I, I was um, you know, had a had a good marriage, a wonderful wonderful guy, and um, you know all these things around. But 
you know, in this respect with food, um, like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and um, just absolutely insane. And and I kept thinking, why would I do this to myself? Where do something that it takes takes me 30 hours, you know, um, just to feel better, and how much I was hurting my body, and um, how insensible. And um, today I'm just so grateful for recovery that I don't have to I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to hurt my body and um I don't have to feel just so um physically sick and miserable and then not to even talk about the, the guilt and the shame and the mental anguish for what I was doing to my body. Um so I'm so grateful um for this program um that I can have recovery one day at a time. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nicole S. Leah M. Thank you so much, Melanie. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. As matters grow worse, and, you know, that speaks to the progression of of my illness. I mean, uh, I you know, I was a compulsive overeater since I was a kid, binging since I was six, you know, seven and eight years of age. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was up against. I did not understand. I had no clue uh you know what i was up against or the depths to which this disease would take me i did not see the writing on the wall and even after you know years of therapy and years of work with psychiatrists and sometimes medications and sometimes uh you know hospital stays um my own under- un- understanding and my awareness of this illness never stopped me from compulsive overeating and it goes on to say then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again you know i had stopped thousands of times um but the the bottom line was i could not make it you see binging was not my problem binging was my solution how i felt when i was Sober, food sober, abstinent (laughs) was my problem. You know, I was restless, I was irritable, and I was discontent, even in an Ivy League school. You know, yes, I had some talent. Yes, perhaps I had some abilities. But I had to binge again. Because, you see, I didn't have a choice whether I binged or not. I had lost the power in choice. And that's the difference between me and a moderate or a hard eater. That's what makes me a real compulsive overeater is I had to binge again. A compulsive overeater of my type, uh, not binging, not compulsive overeating, and not treating the ism, not treating the disease, you know, uh, and even just sitting in OA, OA meetings, even enjoying the fellowship of OA meetings did not treat the ism, did not treat the disease. That's the great myth that kills many compulsive overeaters. The 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous treated my illness, treated my illness. We are the only people in the world who have a twofold illness that only can be overcome by a spiritual experience. And yes, I had a terminal illness. But I'm a person who came out of it, and I'm in better shape than when I went into it 
because of this spiritual experience. And what made that possible is these 12 steps, the application, the living of this lifestyle, and the spiritual awakening as a result of it, because I am not who and what I used to be. I don't feel the way I used to feel. I don't think the way I used to think. I don't behave the way I used to behave. I have been born again in my mind. My old attitudes and emotions and ideas that created all this mayhem have been cast aside, and a whole new set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes now dominate me. And for that, I am forever grateful, and I pass. Thank you so much, Leah M. And that brings us to the end of the recorded portion of our meeting today. And thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Sue V. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, everybody. Sue V., Connecticut Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. God bless you and keep you until then.